You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Thursday, the 11th of August. No sign of the heat wave abating. Another glorious day here in TW11, but temperatures set to get much hotter during the course of the week. At the very back end of yesterday's show, Charlotte brought you the news that Frankie de Tori was the man booked for Francis Graffard's very elegant in the Prigent Romanet this weekend. I'll be talking to the trainer about why he's booked de Tori, and he offers fascinating insight as to how he thinks she'll fare in Europe. Before that, I'll be speaking to Philippa Cooper, prominent owner and breeder who tells me that she's winding down her racing and bloodstock interests, beginning with a major dispersal at Tattersall's at the end of this year. And she also tells me that Lionel, her potential star stayer, has moved from David Menuisier. That news was broken yesterday. She's revealed that horse would now be trained by John Gosden. And she explains why she's gone back to John Gosden this season after a spell away from the Clarehaven stable. But first, in the last few minutes, news has broken that Maljoum, owned by Sheikh Ahmed Al Maktoum and trained by William Haggis, will not run in the Prix Jacques de Marois at the weekend. This is what the trainer had to say. Oh, we just routine scoped him this morning and he was filthy. Thank God we found it. Um, so he won't be running on Sunday and he will reroute to the Prix de Moulin at Longchamp. Was that anything you could have picked up without a scope, or was he apparently fine? Uh, well, we we have a couple of scopes of our own, and uh, that's the whole point of having them, and that's the whole point of doing it, because in my experience of training, the one thing that they never do is run to their best if they, they have mucky lungs. So uh, they might win, but they'd have to need a lot in hand, and he doesn't have a lot in hand. So it was a no-brainer as soon as we saw it. That was it. But... Prix de Moulin, you'll have plenty of time if, if he recovers normally to, to, to get him back. He'll recover normally and have five days antibiotics and not be ridden. And they usually respond very well to that treatment. Excellent. Well, we look forward to seeing him when he when he reappears. When you get when you get one that scopes dirty, how jittery do you get with big big races around the corner about the health of the others? We'll be scoping by Eid on Monday, just okay. to be sure. Okay. Um, is he okay? How, how, how happy are you with him generally? Work this morning, a bit of a pea super this morning. I could only see a furlong, but Michael Hills rode him and was very happy with him. So as far as we're concerned, all systems go for York. Yes, I suppose if it's a, it's a foggy morning, as long as you can see the correct brown dot on the horizon emerging well ahead of the other brown dot. We could see a, a furlong and a half, so it was, uh, it was fine. Um, these horses are very important, but they're nowhere near as important as, as your wife, Maureen, uh, who had a really nasty accident on the gallops the other day. Um, everyone, I'm sure, will want to know how she's doing and will be wishing her well. Thanks, Nick. She's, uh, she's been battling, actually. She's very sore and she's had a few very uncomfortable days um, and sick a lot. And, you know, it's been pretty unpleasant for her and her pain threshold. Nick is about 
treble mine and probably treble yours and you and I put together uh, she usually can cope with most things but this has slowed her a bit but she went to London this morning and she's I just spoke to her 10 minutes ago she's having an operation at lunchtime today and she'll be in intensive care for a bit but hopefully all goes well and she'll be a new woman you realise how trivial the worries are about horses at times like this I guess and so would the owners of uh, Mal Juman all connected with him and absolutely we want Maureen safe and sound and, and back to normal as soon as possible. Racing Post Jonathan Harding was was listening to that. Jonathan, Mal Jume is out of the Jacques de Malois. That's, a, that's a, a great shame. To what extent does that rob the race of significant interest? Well, I'm not sure it, it robs it of too much interest because we've got plenty of star power in there still potentially with Inspiral and Caribus. but I was personally very interested to see how he got on obviously he was very well documented he was unlucky in the St James's Palace you'd think he would have got a little bit closer to Caribus with a fair run and there was a lot in the aftermath about Kieran Fallon and William Haggis's support so it would have been nice to see them have another bite of the cherry with Maljum obviously it's it's not an ideal time before York to have a horse scoping dirty but hopefully fingers crossed it is an isolated incident obviously with Baid being the big one in the in the Jubmont next week but I know they'll they'll need leave no stone unturned there and clearly our, our thoughts are with Maureen as she as she undergoes surgery today and as William Haggis said Maljum out Baid having a scope on Monday but really he's only going to have his mind on one thing and, and, and quite understandably for the next few hours at least no absolutely thoughts thoughts with them and, and Maureen and wishing her a very speedy recovery it certainly puts things into perspective sometimes doesn't it and um, yeah hopefully she's back to her, her fighting best soon just after we, we published yesterday um, a little bit of news came out that horses come horses go as the trainer himself said but it, it's, it's significant nonetheless that the horse is called Lionel you'll know him he won the cocked hat at Goodwood he ran down the field in the Irish Derby and owner breeder Philippa Cooper has has moved the horse so Devon Manusier announced to racing television yesterday now Philippa's a, a regular semi-regular on, on this podcast and it's not the first time that she's moved a horse from one trainer to the other so what's the news you'd think but I thought I'd put in the call anyway and I think um, Philippa, there's a, there's a little bit more to this than than perhaps meet the eye, isn't there? Um, yes. I mean, everybody knows where I move my horses all the time, but when I do move for horses, as I've said before, it's for the welfare of the horse, and I have nothing but respect and admiration for David Medusier, but we had a difference of opinion um, on where the horse should race next. I just felt that it had been a bit of a bridge too far for him in the Irish Derby, and I am so grateful to Jamie Spencer for looking after him the way he did. And uh, he's had a holiday, and uh, I didn't want him to run in the ledger. I just really want to give him a break and start again, in, in a sense, and maybe just run in a race at the back end in the autumn on softer ground. Um, and he's going to John Goston, and John knows the family really, really well, and uh, it's always a very delicate situation, particularly moving a horse halfway through the season, but um, I just felt strongly that it was something that I should do. In fact, I had said to my husband earlier on in the season, do you want to take evens at the horses with Goston by the end of the year? And he said, definitely. <laughs> 
you've had it. I mean, you've had a, a, a great success with with John Gosden before, but you've moved horses to him, away from him. Yes. You look at shifting horses around trainers maybe in a different way to to other owners. Well, we've talked about this before. Yes, absolutely. Um, I do. I am sensitive as a person. I'm not tough. I do mind people say things about me. The media have always been very kind, in a sense. They've never sort of said, oh, this horse has been moved or whatever. I think they sort of think I'm a bit of an eccentric. I don't understand why people don't move their horses more often. Um, I know loads of people who are unhappy with their trainers, but they just wouldn't move a horse because they want the likability factor all the time. I've, I've never worried at all whether people like me or not. In fact, I've probably gone out of my way that people don't like me and they have to sort of tear down my defences to sort of get to know the person than I am but I think it's very I think it's just something it's like children at school as you know I was a teacher I moved my son sort of six weeks into his boarding school because I realized it was a terrible mistake and it was the best thing I ever did and likewise with a horse um, moving my horses from John Gosden was the biggest mistake I ever made um, we'd had a great time together we started to have a few arguments just they were ridiculous and I don't know what happened but I just said to him I think it's better that I move the horses I'm sure you'll be pleased and he said of course he wasn't in everything but I did and maybe it was the best thing that I did because I haven't had any good horses really good horses uh, apart from Hurricane Lane who I bred in that time and um it was probably good because the horses I would have given him then wouldn't have been any good anyway. I'm not suggesting for a minute he could have made them into anything. But I rang him up last year and I asked him if he would consider tra- training for me again. And as the gentleman he is, he said I would be delighted to. So we've renewed the partnership. Now, what what might concern more people is that, that it's it's the beginning of the end for for your for your racing and, and breeding enterprise. Is that is that right? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's almost like a swan song in a way to have the few horses with John and um, the mares will all be going to the Tattersall's mare sale at the end of November, um, apart from Gretchen, Fallen in Love and um, Fallen for You. Um, the other two are over 12, the last two, so I wouldn't ever sell a mare that's over 12, but they're all going, so people don't think, oh, she's just selling a few, or she's selling what she doesn't want. I've got to do it. Um, so maybe within two to three years, I will be out, unless something pulls me back in, because I'll just keep a few two-year-olds I've got. I'm selling foals, and I'm selling four yearlings as well and I've only been having crops of six anyway so there won't be many to run and if I do run any they will be ones that nobody wants to buy so there it is um, is there is there something that's that's made you do this because you you just don't enjoy the sport anymore Philippa or what's what's the thinking behind winding down because you've had you've had a lot of success yes I've been very very lucky it's been 25 years and I think it's a bit of a milestone and the fact that it sustained me and kept me going and I it's kept up my interest but now I'm losing interest and there are so many different factors I mean you know I'm so grateful to this industry and it's really defined me as a person. 
totally whether people think it's a good person or a bad person. But I know for me, I, I've gained so much from it and I don't want to turn my back and start saying it's this and it's that and I don't like the people and there's no prize money and everything. Of course, the money is a huge factor. Um, and people know that my husband hasn't been well and that's another factor. And I just feel... I'm getting much older and I just don't want to have to write the checks that I'm writing and I don't have any contact with the mayors, which is the most important thing that I had. I didn't realise that I needed the mayors far more than they needed me. I, I sort of deluded myself that Normandy Stud was very special and they were so happy because of me and they, I had to success because of me and the stud and my team, but it was nonsense. I realized that I needed them. I needed them as therapy and I missed that terribly. And uh, so I'm not getting any upside at all. And the racing, I'm starting to lose a little bit of interest in it to be honest and those are my reasons and and is that a personal thing do you think or is it anything to do with the sport as a whole think it's to do with the sport is it oh, look I mean we all know there isn't any prize money um we all know that there are problems within the hierarchy of British racing um we have factions within the sport where people just don't get on you've got the race courses you know the media rights we all know that there are problems um I've always had bleated on about the stallions. I just feel that they're covering too many uh, mares. And I always wanted, when I was at the TBA, to reduce the stallion books, which they have tried to do in the States, and it's just, they don't want to do it. But I don't like stallions covering 250-odd mares and, uh, and charging 150000 to 200000 per shot. And I can't pay that kind of money. In fact, I don't want to pay that kind of money. And when I look back now over the costs and what I've spent, I just cannot believe that I've done it. But that's an age thing, I suppose. And I don't want to take the risks of hoping that I'm going to make some money at the yearling sale so that I can pay my nomination costs. I don't want to do that anymore. Philippa, thanks so much for talking to me. Um, I, I sort of hope that You'll have a, another little vault fast in a, in a couple of years and just go and buy a ton of mares again because it's life's more interesting with you in it than not in it. That's very kind, Nick. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Philippa Cooper there from Normandy Stud. Always Jonathan Harding, guaranteed to make you listen, make you think more about the, the sport. Someone who hasn't always played by the sport's conventions and orthodoxy but who has nonetheless made a really interesting and important contribution to the breeding of, of racehorses. If, if she is bowing out of the game, as she's in, indicating over the next two or three years, I, I think, uh, I think the, the sport will in, in many ways be poorer for it. Absolutely. Well, as people who cover the sport, we want personalities. We want a diversity of ideas and interests. And it, it's nice to hear, an owner breeder speaking so frankly about her decisions but of course it is concerning to hear that she's potentially looking at winding down her interest the the constant headache for racing is how to replace or not replace because they won't be replaced but how to get the next generation of owners in when these larger operations are winding down or coming to a natural end and it would be a huge headache really um 
and it is concerning that she is t- is taking that decision. So just at the back of yesterday's podcast, uh, Charlotte gave you the news that Frankie de Tori would be aboard the Australian supermare very elegant as she makes her debut for French trainer Francis Henri Graffard in the Prix Jean Romanet at Deauville this weekend. Francis joins me now. Francis, just talk to me about the, the thinking behind booking Frankie de Tori and, and what you and the owners are, are trying to achieve with, with this with this mayor. Um, obviously, uh, I was uh, at the beginning. I was focusing on the mayor herself and trying to uh, get a. Uh, out at the right time uh, when she she says she was uh, ready and uh, uh, when I was at Goodwood the other day Frankie wrote for me and uh, and I had this idea in my head I said uh, oh my god uh, why I shouldn't book uh, Frankie uh, for the mayor because um, uh, she needed a top top class jockey on board uh, somebody that everybody would know especially the Australian and uh, I, I had a chat with Frankie and he said I might be available so that would be great so and then I spoke with Yona and they were delighted. So that's how it happened, basically. Was that very much with the arc in mind, given his record in that race? You wanted some consistency between who was going to ride on, on the weekend and who would ride her down the track? Yeah, I was, um, I was trying to look at somebody that might be able to keep the, the mayor uh, for the autumn. But obviously, and also Frankie has... Um, probably will have other commitment and um, I think uh, I just wanted to start somewhere you know but I'm not uh, putting any pressure of uh, what's going to happen uh, in the autumn and uh, if you will be able to there was there's no commitment basically we just uh, take it one race after other obviously if she's in top form she runs rail and Frankie is available it would be fantastic if you can uh, keep her for the autumn that would be great just looking at, at the weekend, reports have been good about her recent well-being. She wasn't ready to run in her intended debut in the Rothschild. What's changed between then and now, Francis? What have you seen in the last few weeks? She Probably a, a combination of uh, different uh, things. That, uh, two weeks ago, she was uh, a little bit affected by the heat wave. Uh, you know, it's winter for her. Um, seasons... And she was a little bit flat, and she didn't. Uh, uh, she was not. She worked a little bit flat, and she was just showing me signs that she needed a bit of more time. And um, and she seems so much better uh, with two more weeks. Uh, everything is much better. She yeah. Just uh, I spoke with Chris Waller also, and is um. He's been uh, very helpful about how to assess the, the mayor and, uh, yeah, basically the, the way she behaves is similar to how she is in Australia. So that was a very interesting and uh, I can see this week uh, she's uh, she's really happy and uh, much more uh, positive about everything. Have you got a fairly clear idea in your own mind as to as to how you think she's going to run? Have you had enough time to assess her and and what she's showing you to know how she's going to adapt to Europe? Or or are you slightly in the dark? Um, I am in the dark in terms of um, uh, the comparison between uh, the races in Australia and Europe. Uh, also, the season are different. Uh, like Chris said, he said uh, from August on she will really start to blossom in her coat and everything. Um, 
that uh, the way she works, she looks like she's really a staying filly. I mean, um, like uh, you you gallop her and uh, from 800, after 800 meters, you feel like you have no gas and suddenly the big engine come up and then you can't pull her up, you know, she keep going and she can keep going for for ages and being stronger and stronger all the time. So uh, I think she would be, uh, yeah, over 10 for long, might be a little bit sharp for her. Uh, I tried to look how she was uh, starting a season in Australia, you know, over seven furlong or things like that. Uh, and also she can be a little bit keen. But uh, in the morning, she she seems very relaxed now. So uh, I was that's why I was looking for the Rothschild to start her. But I think she would be much better to start over 10 furlong. But she's definitely a filly we will see over a mile and a half plus uh, this autumn. All right, that was Francis Graffa. This is the Racing Post's Jonathan Harding, who is listening intently to that. Jonathan, what do you make of, of the mayor coming to Europe? And, and what do you make of, of Frankie de Tori as, as her first European-based rider? Well, I think it's absolutely fascinating that she's been sent over for a campaign here. And fair play to her owners, because we've we've sort of craved a lot of these Australian horses to come over and, and take on the best of Europe, uh, certainly winks in recent history. Um, so fair play to them for having a crack at it, which is obviously a fantastic racehorse over there. And it will be good to see what she can do um, in Europe. In terms of the booking of Frankie Latour, I think it's very interesting. And, and part owner Bray Sikulski put it really nicely when they said there was a romantic aspect to it as they were both coming to the end of their careers. But that slightly misses the fact that Dottori, I think, still is the man for these big days. I know he's had a, a difficult start to the season, very high profile fallings out and the rest of it, which I'm sure he would have, he could have done without. But it wasn't that long ago he was winning a, a Dubai World Cup. And I think for the, if you're involved with that horse, um, it's, it's the type of booking that you want, really. You've got a superstar mare and you've got the world's most famous jockey. It could be a match made in heaven until it goes wrong, of course. And then... Um, suddenly it's it's a different story it's very rare that you get a trainer talking so openly and with such insight about the intricacies of, of training a horse and I, I was really struck there by how Frances Graffold was describing her gallops and saying that she 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 looked like a stare that you realized that after a certain length of a gallop there was just a bottomless reserve which of course would explain why she won the Melbourne Cup but it also makes you wary of backing her at, at shorter distances in, in Europe, doesn't it? No, it certainly does. And she's shown herself to be incredibly versatile. I mean, in Australia, she's running over and winning over all sorts of trips. But this is a slightly different test coming on. And, and they're looking at the arcs. They're taking on the best of the middle distance horses in Europe. It's, it's no easy feat. And I think when a horse like this comes over with a reputation, I'm imagining what it would have been like had Winks come over. It does come with an extra level of pressure and there's a, a sense from the trainer there that no stone, stone is being left unturned here um, with Very Elegant. But like everybody else, just incredibly excited to, to see her run and see what she can do because it's usually waking up to clips of her running rather than seeing her live. So it'll be interesting to uh, see how she gets on. Let's talk about what's been happening elsewhere. Interesting story in your paper, The Racing Post, this morning about the best odds guarantee concession. This is a, a concession that has been commonplace now for, for a couple of decades where if you place a bet and the horse goes off at a bigger price than you back the horse at, you are still guaranteed that, that bigger price. Uh, Paddy Power have removed 
that best odds guarantee concession, but only at certain races on certain tracks, Jonathan. What's happening behind the scenes here? Well, Paddy Power, in, in its response to this, um, or in response to its decision to, or explanation of its decision, rather, to withdraw best odds guaranteed from certain meetings, has cited the need to mitigate against the rising media costs, media rights costs. Um, but it's quite telling that it's, or potentially quite telling, that the two meetings uh, that have been affected so far, Lingfield on Tuesday, Foslas on Wednesday, Paddy Power say it's not targeting race courses under the arena racing company umbrella um but that it seems to be that there's something going on behind the scenes here uh flutter entertainment the parent company of party power has, has called for transparency on how racing is funded so there's a bit of brinkmanship going on when it comes to media rights obviously with media rights it's difficult to get to the bottom of exactly what's going on because nobody would, would ever want to show their hand but to have a, a company like flutter asking for transparency and wanting to essentially know how racing is funded, whether they're getting their money's worth from those pictures, from those tracks. It is interesting, and that battleground for media rights is only going to become more complicated, potentially, and, and best sorts guaranteed is a bit of a pawn, potentially, for them to put a bit of pressure on because the, it becomes a less enticing betting prospect, betting on racing at those tracks, and that has impacts for turnover and things like that. So it's interesting from a political stand back and look at the big picture sense but again as with so many of these things the scaling back of concessions and and things that the punters have got used to having is it, they're the ones that are going to suffer from this back and forth and a bit of battle over media rights so in real terms what does this mean for the punters that's the important question uh, however much we want to uh, talk about the effect of the industry and, and where it's going. Colin Horde is the, the chair of the, the Horse Race Betters Forum and joins me now. Colin, is this something that you have foreseen or has it come as a surprise? So it comes quite a surprise, Nick. Um, it's, uh, it was something a bit out of the blue, to be honest. And that's one of our issues about notification. Uh, actually, we thought it was very poorly notified to customers. Uh, many people got late emails and the website wasn't being updated. So, yeah, uh, really out of the blue. So what, what, what is the, the effect, do you think, on day-to-day -day punters? Well, quite a lot. I mean, I think many people, you know, uh, enjoy the facility of having best odds guaranteed. Um, it means that they don't necessarily have to worry too much about the price. They put their bets on reasonably early in the day. And, uh, you know, if the price drifts, then, then they, uh, they get the, uh, the price accordingly. So uh, for most people, um, I think it's going to be significant. I think one of the things that's the other thing with this particular case is that it's only going to be at certain meetings. So each day you've got to look at you know, which meetings uh, Paddy Power offer the, the concession and which they don't. And that's obviously going to be very confusing. You know, uh, you know, it does appear to be some sort of spat between the two organisations. I don't really want to get into that. But, you know, each day having to check which meetings uh, carry the bog and which ones don't, then uh, I think that's, that's, you know, that's significant. And, we, you know, we're, we're sorry to see, you know, something like this. And it may be the thin end of a wedge that uh, the best odd guarantee may be on its way out. And that's obviously a real concern for, for punters. You know, we're always wary that uh, extra demands uh, made of the bookmakers in terms of uh, media rights and uh, other costs that they bear, you know, for racing, obviously means that some of these concessions are always being looked at, you know, by their the senior management. So it's, it's, it is a concern that, uh, you know, that this is, this is starting to happen. 
Colin Hort there, the chairman of the Horse Race Betters Forum, on Paddy Power's decision not to offer the best odds guaranteed concession on certain races at certain courses. Now, the Quality Jumps Racing Review Group has released some recommendations. Finally, you might say, the headline seems to be the downgrading of a Grade 1 race at Chepstow, the finale juvenile hurdle. However, that would have happened as a matter of course anyway, even if this review had taken place as part of the normal up and downgrading of races that either do or don't meet the criteria that are already laid down. Jonathan, what has actually happened in terms of material change here? Well, the first is a little bit of housekeeping, which is changing the uh, grade three handicaps, renaming those to premier handicaps, which will hopefully um, help people explain when on the race course with somebody who's going racing for the first time and you say, well, you have graded races and you have handicaps and they go, well, what about this graded handicap? And you're slightly flummoxed as to how to explain the nuances of that. That will clear all that up, which is very welcome. The material change is the downgrading of, or well, the full, the discontinuing of listed handicaps. Some are, or one rather, is going up to, to be a grade two. That's the Mayor's final handicap, Novices Chase at Cheltenham. A uh, few are being made into those premier handicaps I've just mentioned. Races like the Badger Ales won't be known as a listed handicap, be known as a premier handicap. I think the most telling thing here and the most significant thing here is a few of those listed handicaps, instead of going up, are going down, being downgraded. Uh, they include the December handicap at Sandown, the Lanzarote handicap hurdle at Kempton Park. Those listed handicaps will be change to class two handicaps and i think that's the implication there is it's sort of making the top end that little bit more competitive there's no it removes an, a few opportunities at what you might call cheap black type there mm-hmm. in those listed handicaps and just yeah I, th- I think just squeezing it reducing the number of races at the top there and will sort of make it a little bit more competitive which i know has been a, a hot topic this year as there's one other point and they're tied in the the advent of juvenile hurdles for jump spread horses only that haven't run on the flat. We featured that on the podcast before. Uh, that'll be in an experimental phase initially, and I'd imagine it'll start off with quite small fields, but you've got to start somewhere. And in tandem with that, a reduction in the amount of bumpers, National Hunt flat races, that horses are allowed to run in. It's only a reduction of, of three before they go into a championship race for geldings. And then if you do win the Cheltenham race you can then go on to to Aintree um, but it, it's a step in the right direction in my opinion though not everyone's possibly no I, I would side with you on that of course um, trainers are very fond of bumpers and quite rightly because you can't replicate a race course experience and they can be competitive races they can be very interesting certainly at the championship level but what you want to avoid is horses running in them running in so many of them that they're not then graduating and, and making that step up and and ensuring we get good field sizes at the lower level of the sort of hurdling novice hurdles juvenile hurdles things like that so um yeah very interesting move i think probably the right move there's an argument to say whether you could reduce it further before they qualify or have to then step up to those championship races um, and another element to that will be that there will be no six-year-olds permitted to run in those races as well. So I think it's just shrinking that window, hopefully pushing some of those horses a little bit further up their journey, uh, to that traditional journey towards uh, 
hurdling and chasing and that can only increase competitiveness and field sizes at that end so it all in all a little bit of tinkering from the BHA thus far but some some fairly sensible moves and I look forward to seeing what happens sort of next season oh this will be brought in next season sorry but what happens with the rest of the jump review group now what I want to know is what's happening with the BHA's review into interference rules and and penalties because I'm, I'm a bit confused uh, because uh, yesterday your paper seemed to suggest that there was a a big launch of a of a penalty review, but the BHA seemed to have rode back a bit on that. Now you wrote the initial story. Yeah, so this um, is the BHA has nodded to this before that it will be looking at the penalty structure. That's not simply interference and things like that. It is and other riding offences. It's right across the board, looking at the rule book and looking at its sanctions. It's alluded to that previously, that that piece of work would be happening. Um, and we reported that it will be happening this year. So that process, that consultation period with participants will begin soon. Um, it was. It's not right to say that it's launched this week, because like I say, it's been an ongoing piece of work, but it is taking place. It's interesting to flag that. And they're looking at hopefully an implementation period of next year, but these things, it's difficult to tie down to dates, but they are looking at the structure as part of an ongoing piece of work, and that will tie in interference and other things to see whether they need to impose more severe sanctions or indeed lessen them. All right, Jonathan, for the moment, thank you. Now, uh, you'll know by now, well, sick of the fact that I've just got back from Saratoga. Uh, before I left, I did catch up with the Tattersall's Director of Marketing, Jimmy George, uh, on the publication of this year's all-important Book One catalogue. I began by asking him what had taken him across the pond and why it was important for him to be seen in, in America. Specifically in the last few years, we've been welcoming an awful lot more American buyers to book one and book two of the October yearling sale. So there's that sort of added impetus behind one of the October yearling sale at Tattersall's and that added incentive for us to get out here and see the people who are interested in coming over and buying these turf yearlings to race over here in America. And this is really the, the part of the country where you want to be, isn't it, because of the, the New York turf programme. We saw it at Belmont a few weeks ago. We've seen it at Saratoga this weekend with the two Appleby winners and I know horses that have been sold at book one finishing in behind them as well. Yeah, I mean, look, we got off to a great start here when In Italian won the Diana for Peter Brand. She was bought by Mike Ryan on behalf of Peter a few years back. Yeah, Gorgeous-looking Dubawi for She is. She's lovely. And funny enough, we, we saw her around at, at Chad Brand's barn the other day. She looks in really great shape. And it's those sort of performances. And the weekend before at Belmont, McCulloch of, of Chad's also owned by Seth Klarman. She won the Belmont Oaks. She was bought for 180,000 guineas at book one of the October yearling sale a couple of years ago by Mike Ryan. And, you know, these are the reasons these people want to come back to book one. And these, that's also the reason why I'm here with Lincoln Collins and Joe Miller, who do our stuff over in America for Tadassals, here trying to uh, encourage a few others to come over and to field inquiries and to let them know how easy it is to get from here to us. How are you getting on, do you think? Yeah, look, it's it's encouraging to, to hear the level of awareness of book one of the October yearling sale, but also the enthusiasm for people to come in greater numbers year by year. The results have made 
my job easier, made our job easier to to attract these buyers from America because they're seeing literally every day of the Saratoga meet Tattersall's graduates performing at the very highest level. And it, it might sound bizarre, but but one of the October yearling sales produced more Saratoga grade one or two winners than any other yearling sale in the last couple of years. And um, that's that's pretty compelling. And as I said, because of this increased turf programme, it's not massively surprising given that the, the you know, we've got You've got access to the best progeny or some of the best progeny, best bred progeny of, of the leading active size Frankel, Kingman, Dubawi, Lope de Vega and so on. These horses that play so well here because they've got the best turf pedigrees in the world. Yeah, and that's the key. And that's what, in particular, the sort of Mike Ryan, Chad Brown, Peter Brown, Seth Klarman axis identified five or six years ago when they came over the, for the for the first time and they recognise that yes exactly that we have the best turf stallions in the world in Britain, Ireland and France it's no coincidence that the best turf horses come from Europe and the cream of the crop annually sell at one of the Tattersall's October yearling sale and it, it's, all, it's all come together unbelievably well in that respect But obviously if you're going to set your bar that high you need to keep jumping over the bar um, to what extent do you think you've been able to do that this year the catalogue's out yeah, look, I think even by the lofty standards of book one, this year's catalogue looks a little bit special. There's... Do you know I had a funny feeling you were going to say that? <laughs> I'm, I'm terribly predictable, aren't I? One day, yeah, no, all right, I, you, you won't ever catch me saying it's anything other than special. Um, but no, I mean, own or half brothers and sisters to more than 60 group one and classic winners is a pretty telling statistic in itself. Uh, more than a third of the catalogue is by the current top ten sires, active sires standing in Britain and Ireland. I mean, it's, you know, when you've got a hundred plus yearlings by the likes of Galileo, Dubawi, Frankel, Kingman and See the Stars, you know you've got a special catalogue and there's plenty of other top class stallions in amongst that lot as well that add significantly. Do you think we're in a golden era of super sires? I do. I genuinely do. I mean, mean, can you remember a period like it in your in your time? No, no, and you're making me sound very old and every now and then I feel it. But no, I can't, genuinely. I think we've got unprecedented depth of quality in the, in the European stallion ranks in particular, uh, you know, and, and, and maybe in particular in Britain and Ireland. And I think a measure is, you know, obviously we all acutely feel the loss of Galileo, you know, the like of which we will be very lucky to, to see ever again in our lifetimes, but in a funny way. It doesn't feel like we, you know, the, the, the market or the, or the, you know, the product has taken a beat because we've got Frankel, we've got Dubawi, we've got Kingman, we've got See the Stars. You know, we have got really genuine successes for arguably the best stallion of our lifetimes. Which lots do you think are going to attract most interest? Now, uh, there's one I'm very interested in, which is a, a foal I saw last year at Watership Down, the Frankel out of Somidar. He's going to make a lot of money, isn't he? Yeah, look, Watership Down annually sends some very special yearlings to book one of the October yearling sale. And uh, I haven't seen him, but I have heard reports. Uh, you're, you're a good judge, Nick. I, well, I'm told you are because, yeah, I, I, we've heard very good reports about him. His uh, See the Stars half-brother sold for a million two hundred thousand guineas last year, coincidentally, to Woodford Racing, an American, an American racing partnership who've left him in England to be trained by John Gosden. He was a smashing individual 
and I believe his his younger half brother is uh, is equally special. It's so hard to pick out mm. individuals in a catalogue of this sort of quality, but suffice to say, there's there's plenty for everyone, and of course, as ever, every single one of them will be eligible for the twenty thousand pound Tattersall's October Book One bonuses, mm. which have been so key to getting the trainers and the owners to to the sale in increasing numbers and to rewarding them with with this extra special prize money all right thanks to jimmy and thanks to all my guests jonathan harding from the racing post is still here and has a winner to send you off with today fingers crossed i'm going for gilt edge in the 330 at fossilas has been a little bit in and out this year but it's a course and distance winner seems to come alive at the track and this is where he won is or recorded his last win so i'm hopeful we can get back to winning ways at fossilas jonathan thanks so much that was thursday august the 11th we'll be back again to do it tomorrow bye-bye You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.